This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. When interior designer Jana Rosenblatt had an 80-foot tree fall on her house, she saw the opportunity to create the customized home of her dreams. From Disaster to Dream Home provides you with the information and resources Jana wished she had during her rebuilding process. Now she's sharing with you the expertise of leading architects and home builders and the newest products and materials on the market. Here's your host, Jana Rosenblatt. Welcome home builders and renovators. My goal for Dream It, Design It, Build It is to be an interior design podcast featuring the client experience of building a new home from the ground up, renovating an older home and rebuilding after disaster. My guests today are Don McMaster and John Hill of McMaster and Hill Construction. In 2017, McMaster and Hill Construction started as a water and fire restoration contractor. Over the past two years, Don McMaster and Jonathan Hill have grown McMaster and Hill Construction into a full service contracting company. Both have spent their entire lives growing up in the Conejo Valley, which is in uh, just north of Los Angeles, and are passionate about making MHC a leading remodeling and design firm. McMaster and Hill Construction now specializes in high-end remodels, home additions, kitchen and bath remodels, and complete fire rebuilds. With over 40, 40 years of combined experience, Don and John have the skill set to fit any client's needs. And I am the lucky interior designer that just got to uh, work with them recently on two homes. Um, before we get started, uh, just give me a little bit of an idea of how you guys met and, and became a partnership. Well, I'll, I'll handle that at the beginning. This is Don. Um, I've been doing construction for 45 years and uh, I had another company where I was working at and uh, I met I met John as a younger guy. He's considerably younger than I am. But uh, one of the things when he first came to work uh, for us, we were trying to figure out what his skill sets were. And uh, one of the things he's especially uh, good at is the computer and one of the things that uh, is the hardest thing for contractors to do is to do paperwork. They're probably good at doing buildings. You know, I'm good at building, doing buildings and putting them together. Not so good at maybe the paperwork and stuff like that. So when John first uh, came to our company, uh, the other company that I worked at, uh, I had him doing uh, estimates and we were also doing insurance jobs. So one of the things that uh, we had him do was go out and learn how to do the estimating how to put that together for the insurance companies, which most contractors do not know how to do. You know, they can do standard estimating, but contracting with the insurance companies is a, is a real specialty. And yeah, doing we'll, it, we'll get into that. It, yeah, it will probably get to that. But uh, but basically, uh, we worked together for probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years. Oh, wow. 14 years, he says. And then... Uh, we decided to start our, our own thing together. So we've been cool. doing that. Now it's 2021. It's 
Yeah, two and a half, three years already. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's amazing how far you've come as a partnership. Um, so when the idea of doing a podcast was brought to me, it was framed as a 12-month commitment. And I immediately thought about the 12-month timeline that I've used to build more than 15 new homes from the ground up with my clients over the past 10 years. I use this outline to make sure that I have what builders like yourselves need as, uh, as soon as they need it. And um, I've been working with you guys for the last 12 months on two homes that were devastated from the Wolseley fires in Southern California. And, um, and I came aboard uh, after the architect was done with his plans. And um, you guys were, um, uh, one home was in framing and the other house, you hadn't even uh, quite done the um, pouring the foundation. And so, I miss a, a certain amount of that um, early process. And that's what I'm hoping that we can talk about today. Um, so I wanna talk about you know, just precisely how the process begins. So let's call the, um, the first one we completed mo the modern house and the, um, the other one, the craftsman house. I think that will be easy for us to uh, remember. Um, so the first question is how soon after a fire do potential clients begin to call? So this is John here. I would say um, a campaign fire such as the Woolsey, which is affecting hundreds of homes, it could take several months for the customer to call the contractor. Um, usually the first few weeks and months is working with the insurance company um, to file a claim, you know, get a claim adjuster out to the property, have it written up. And by that time, the client's starting to review and review contractors. Uh, if so, it's a normal house fire, um, just in the area, uh, usually within a few days to a week. No, if it, if it doesn't, if it's not a total, um, uh, total loss, then it doesn't take as long to be able to start to talk to you guys. Correct, exactly. Yeah, and then, so how did both of the Oak Park projects find you? I'll take that one. So uh, a friend of mine happened to know um, one of the owners up there and uh, he was also a general contractor, but like I had said earlier, he did not have the expertise in the insurance stuff. So one of the first things when the insurance start, company starts talking, he was like, I, they're not talking my language. I'm not sure what they're asking me. So he was going, he came to me and said, look, can you handle this job? And uh, maybe you can work with these people. But this isn't something I really specialize in. And he goes, and I know you do. So uh, maybe you could uh, handle that. So we got, he introduced me to the owner and we all sat down and, and uh, we explained to him how the insurance companies work, what to, ex what, what to expect over the next 12 months, you know, what they were going to ask him. And so kind of just interface with, uh, between him and the insurance company. Yeah. So you, um, so you were talking to them before they had, uh, gotten that far into the insurance process. Yeah, they had, uh, you know, they had first thing, especially with a fire this big. So that's yeah. why when John said, you know, when you have this big fire come through here, there's not very many adjusters. And so it takes them time to get to it as opposed right. to, let's say you're just living and you catch your house on fire, you know, because your stove went up in smoke mm -hmm. that you can do pretty quick, but because of what had happened in the insurance companies, uh, 
there's so many homes that are devastated and people are actually not worried about that right now. They're trying to find a place to live and yeah. then everybody's trying to you know, move in and they're competing against people for rentals. So that's their first thought. And then right. their thought is, okay, I'll do something about my house. But, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So we helped, we started to ex- explain to them what the insurance companies would be looking for uh-huh. when they did talk to them and that we would help them through that process. Yeah, well, I know from experience uh, that you always need that help. It's a very challenging process. Um, uh, so this is a bit of a chicken, uh, a chicken and egg question. Um, who comes first, the architect or the builders? Um, was there already an architect when you started to talk to them, or were you guys introduced them to the architect, or how did that process go with these two houses? Well, in this case, on both of these homes, um, we had met the owners through a mutual friend, as we said. And so we recommended the architect. They didn't know where to turn, which architects to hire, et cetera. So in this case, we recommended an architect we worked close with. And so they had hired him um, to start the architectural and engineering process. And um, did they entertain other architects at that time? Were there, did they talk to a few people or how did they... Uh... At that time, both customers, I believe, had met with several to Uh get initial pricing from, because as you know, that's kind of the first step for a contractor to be able to provide a detailed budget or estimate for rebuild is to have a working set of plans. So that's what we highly recommended with both um, homeowners is to get the process started with a licensed architect and engineer. So... um, at the very beginning, when they're looking, you know, people start to be able to look for their, their builders and contractors, uh, is there a lot of competition at that stage? Um, do you feel like, you know, the same six guys are looking at every project or how does, how does that work for you? Well, I don't know who the competition is on each one, but it may, it may have been the same six guys. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the homeowners in this instance did talk to different people. And they were talking to us at the same time. And most of the time, the other, let's say, uh, contractor A, B, and C would each have their own um, architect that they're used to working with. Uh-huh. And so they would be asking, they, they would be talking to those people too. So there is some competition going on. You know, who does the uh, owner feel comfortable with? Uh you know, who knows how to do this kind of stuff. So that, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I think, D- John, didn't you end up playing cards with these guys once a week? I mean, you got, you did it off pretty it's well. A, it's <laughs> more than just a general contractor homeowner. You know, I consider yeah. all of our clients good friends and good people. And that's what makes it fun, you know, building something. Yeah. Or that was such a disaster into a beautiful home. It's really yeah. rewarding. Yeah, I, I know how you feel. Um <laughs> So, so how are you actually hired then? Um, you know, you, you're, you're getting to know them. You're um, talking them through the process. At what point are you, do you stop needing to keep giving them information that you're not paid for and get into a situation where there's a contract? Do you have to, I mean, can you do that before there's a plan or not till there's a plan so you can make a budget or how does that actually work? Well, I would say in this one where we pretty much know we have a ballpark idea of what the house would cost to rebuild it. Uh-huh. And so 
let, let's say make it real simple. It's you know you could tell somebody I'm doing a bath remodel. It's you know it's it's not seventy thousand dollars, but it's not ten thousand dollars. It's you know it's something in the middle. So on these in the particular these two particular houses, they know what their insurance companies were able to give them. You know they were insured for X amount of dollars. So uh-huh. that kind of and, and they could also at that time say, hey, I'm willing to put in you know hundreds of thousand dollars more. They know what their budget is. And so what we had to say was here, your idea, we talked about what their idea was, you know, how many square feet, you know, how many rooms, what they were looking for. And is that going to meet the budget that I have, the money that I'm getting from my insurance company? So they have that amount of money and then they have uh, what they might want to put into it. So um, as long as we had, as long as we knew that we were in the same ballpark, uh, we continued to uh, talk and then we said we would, once they met with the architect, they hired the architect separately. Uh-huh. He drew the plan. I said, then we can give you a final number. Uh-huh. But we're, you know, we already pretty much knew, we were close to what that number would be. Yeah. And so then that, yeah, um, we didn't sign a contract with them until after uh, we had that budget and everything was approved. Yeah. So is that like a, a per square foot budget? Um, that you, or is that too not, random? Not really. I mean, it's the per square foot thing is a general yeah. deal, so we can look at it, but it depends. Like you could have a 3000 square foot house with all gold, you know, faucets and gold floors. And the other guy's got a 3000 square foot house with the, you know, drywall. And so, uh, yeah, the bulk, it's a ballpark thing with square footage, but once you uh-huh. start detailing it, then it becomes a different deal, a different deal. Okay, so let me see if I have that that uh, chicken and egg right. Um, you have the um, uh, so you have the insurance company. You, you you know what the house is insured for, so they know how much coverage they have. So based right. on that, it makes it so that they can have conversations with you guys, because um, and and then they start the design process, and then you go back and that's when you do the more complete budget after the um, house is drafted. Um, where you really start to uh, go through it. And we'll probably do another whole show on the budgeting process, but I'm just want to get that initial, you know, um, uh, idea of, of the, of the order. Is that about right? That, that's exactly right. We start but, with a ballpark budget. And once we get a set of working plans, we fine tune it into a detailed exact budget. And that's when you guys enter contract or was it Correct. somewhere that, in the process? We enter contract with the final number. Uh-huh. based on the working drawings from the architect and engineer. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you have to have a little bit of faith. In you have, we definitely do, because it takes weeks, you know, you know, hours and hours to give a detailed budget. But yeah. we have faith that we're in the ballpark with the customer, you know, and we're going to fine tune it and give them an exact dollar figure on the house that has been drawn up by the architect and engineer. Yeah, that's it's amazing to me. Um, in this day and age, or even any age that you're that really you're required to make a certain amount of investment of your time and, and personalities and, and, you know, attention uh, in this relationship before it's a relationship you knew is, you know, is going to be profitable. And I don't think people give you guys enough credit for that. I think it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing gift to be teaching them and go and, and leading them through the process before you even have a commitment. So that's, you know, that's pretty awesome. Well, one of, one of the things, Janet, that that does help us with, you're absolutely right. So we do, we do put in a lot of time. Um, 
we just signed a contract in the last couple of days with somebody else whose fire, whose house, excuse me, had had burned in the fire two years ago. And, and we spent, I'm going to say a year with this person already. Um, one thing it does help you, you start to understand that person. And you could also say, oh, you yeah. know what, yeah. maybe this isn't the person for me. So yeah, that's a really good point. Before you that's- get into it, you spent some hours with them and you may, you may find out, Hey, you know what? I really can't work with this person. They're going to have to find someone else and someone else might be better suited for them. And maybe, uh, and so it does help you yeah. understand them and say, uh-huh. I can work with this person for the next, you know, 12 months yeah. or, maybe, yeah. or maybe I can't. So, okay. Yeah. I cut my losses and go, they should find someone else. And that would be good. Yeah, so. It is a pretty intimate relationship. I mean, certainly on the interior designers and also, but but you guys have a lot more responsibility than I do. I mean, I'm just there to make it pretty and hopefully not piss you guys off. But, um, uh, but essentially, you know, really you guys, you know, it's really about that client relationship on your end. And Absolutely. in that regard, what are the specific things the client should be looking for in the contractor? I, w- I would say reputation would be a, huge part of that, right? Some, a contractor that's honest, straightforward, willing to give them the good with the bad. And also people they know or people in the community have worked with them and they've started a project, finished it on time, on budget. You know, they said what they were going to do. I think that's probably the biggest thing as a homeowner is just find out the experience that the customers had with the contractor, good, bad, ugly. Um, I think that's the number one thing is to actually vet them and find out how the experience was, because I think communication is one of the biggest things in a relationship um, with a contractor and client. Yeah. And, you know, if you get along with them, um, it makes it fun and a lot easier for everybody. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to add one more thing to that is, um, you know, the state of California has a, a website where you can go to, and you can vet your contractor to find out that, you know, he hasn't broken any laws or had his contractor's license suspended. And, and, I, and we do go out to a lot of jobs where the people said, hey, the guy left and uh, he didn't finish the job and we want you to come finish this job. Yeah, that's hard. And then we say, so how did you vet the person? And they said, well, they really didn't. And you go, you just right. go on the website and find out that, you know, he has six violations for. Yeah. So that, that's one way to do it besides you know, the word of mouth thing and talking to other people, but the state does have that. So you can um, look up and see if anybody's ever, if he's ever been involved in any uh, transactions yeah. where, and, and I'm not saying that, that doesn't happen once in a while to somebody, you know, for two personalities, they don't see things the same, but if you see a pattern, you see a bunch of things on the, uh, on the contractor website with the state of California, you probably go, you know what, maybe that's not a good guy for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that all states have um, a vetting process. I think the one of the reasons I want to do the show is that, you know, people need to know that they should look and that it's just like, you know, when you're buying an expensive appliance, you look in consumer, um, you know, you look it up in consumer reports. Uh, there are, you know, there are ways to get information on people um, and, and businesses for sure and learn their histories. Um, and in that regard, what do you feel makes you guys different than your competition? Besides well, you're really nice guys. Yeah, well, that's obvious. Clearly. 
you're here. I, I think what makes a McMaster and Hill construction different from other contractors is just how honest and straightforward we are with the customer and the communication skills that we use, whether it's phone calls, text message, email. Um, we're always available, whether it's, you know, seven in the morning, six o'clock at night. Um, you know, we're always there to listen, you know, answer questions. A lot of families, you know, they work separate job. So when they get home at six, they finally have a chance to sit down and talk about their house or their remodel or the decisions or the finishes that they're going to make. And it's after hours and, you know, just being available um, to answer questions, I think is uh, something that kind of separates us and the, and the quality of workmanship obviously has to be. Yeah. Well, I can vouch for the quality of workmanship. I mean, I, um, as an interior designer, I never really know what I'm getting into. Um, with a contractor. So communication wise also, um, you guys are great because, you know, it, it was always very straightforward. You know, we're, no one was trying to play games with each other or trip anyone up. And um, even if we, even if we've had different experiences that led us toward different solutions, it was great to be able to talk about them. And, you know, just a really interesting process. So that I think, you know, you guys definitely do well and you seem to really be there for everybody involved. Um, can, I, uh, can I just add, let me just interject please. one other thing. And um, I'm talking about separating, you know, one of the things that, you know, me and John own the company. So sometimes uh, people have, and we have supervisors and stuff like that, but um, you, may, you may hire somebody, you never meet the owner, that you met, might meet the owner one time, and then it's the supervisor. So um, I'm out there looking at the jobs constantly, and John's doing the same thing, and then and that helps because those we're the decision makers. You know, we're the people that go, "Hey, this is this is going to go, or it's not going to go, or we need to fix this, and let's get on it right now." There's no, "Hey, we got to go talk to our boss and see what you know they might think or whatever." So, you know, with uh, with us out there going, "Hey, this is this is our money uh, on the line, not only the homeowner, but you know our profit. We don't want to uh, lose that money. We want to make sure everything's done right the first time." So. Uh, it yeah. helps to have uh, us involved in the daily activities of building something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know that I love the home building process. I love to watch a plot of earth get planted with a foundation. And I like to watch it grow through the framing. And each phase has some other additional sort of thrilling aspect to me. Um, can you tell me what uh, are the, your favorite parts of the process? What do you love about what you do? Well, we love it all. I mean, like you said, every step is completely different, whether it's pouring the foundation, framing it, putting it on the roof, you know, putting light fixtures, drywall every month, every week, everything's changing. Um, but I think overall, it's just helping people and families and um, seeing something on paper come to life. Um, it's, it's really rewarding. Um, you know, obviously the construction part for the first six months, you don't see a lot of the finishes, but then you bring someone like Janet in to help design and you see the pendant lights and the ceiling fans uh -huh. and the wallpaper and the paint colors and the countertops. And it just completely comes to life. And it's, it's very rewarding, very exciting to see that um, in 12 months, a whole house can be built and beautiful and someone gets to enjoy it. And I would say for myself, the same thing. Um, there's a lot of jobs where you can't always tell 
you know, later on what you did or, or how you did it. Um, one thing about building something is you can go back and look at it. A couple months ago, I was in Palm Springs. So, boy, I'm going to say 35 years ago, I was building houses in Palm Springs that I bought the lot and I built the houses. And uh, so we went, my, uh, myself, my wife, we, were, we just went driving back to the, quote, the old neighborhood to see some of the houses that we had built to see what the people were doing with them. And take a look at them and just say, oh, wow, look at that. Uh, they've taken good care of our house. <laughs> and it's been their house for 30 years. But uh-huh. we go, look, they're taking good care of our house. It, it looks, still looks pretty good. We did all right. So uh-huh. that, that was, that's a good thing. Yeah, I have, of course, a similar experience that, you know, I have some clients with whom I know I'm not going to go back a lot after I finish a house because it may never look the same. But I have a lot of clients who I go back and it looks like I just left. And it is so rewarding for me. I mean, you know, yeah, they're living in the house, but they respect the, the process and what we created and are enjoying it so much that it just, you know, only gets more lived in, but it gets, um, you know, it, it, we can still see every, all of our input is still, you know, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason to like the people that you start working with, because if you don't like them at the end, it's a, it's, it's, very unrewarding it's very hard to not be able to experience the the end product very true um so then specifically with the oak park projects um you know what i loved from the beginning i couldn't believe it um was that i've got to simultaneously do this house that i'm going to call modern it's really transitional um they've got a lot of of traditional aspects as well as um contemporary aspects and then there's the craftsman house which is craftsmen on the outside. And we did employ some concepts of craftsmen on the inside, but, but inside it's also a little more contemporary. And so for me, it's just the thrill of that dichotomy was, you know, has been an awesome year of work. Um, what about these two projects for you? What have you enjoyed most about these two? Well, I'd say the same thing. I'd say, number one, the designer that we're working with, uh, and both the clients, I mean, both of the clients love dearly, both great families, great people, easy to communicate with. And that always makes the job as a contractor easier. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of blood, sweat, tears, sleepless nights. And just knowing that you're doing something amazing for one of your clients and that they're going to appreciate it, very helpful. And the two contrasting styles of the houses has been so fun to do because, yeah. um, as you know, um, you like to mix things up a little, right? You do a modern and then yeah. you switch it up with a craftsman and it kind of really tests your skills, your knowledge, makes you think outside the box a lot more. And I always think that's fun when you're being challenged, you know, weekly, daily, monthly on, you know, building something, two homes that are completely different. Yeah, I would say just the, uh, just the satisfaction of, of doing a good job. And uh, at the end, that the homeowner is pleased with what he selected and, uh, or she selected and says, you know what, I, I, really, I really like my home. This is, I mean, this is where you are. And this is where people have their biggest investment in life for yeah. the most parts in their house. So the fact that they, they like it, they like living there and they tell us that, hey, this really came out maybe better than I thought. I wasn't sure what I was going to get because most people, obviously they had a fire. They did, they did not expect to be making this decision uh, 
anytime soon. It's not like they plan to do this for five years or, you know, they've been planning on building their own house. This happened to them accidentally yeah. and suddenly. And uh, I think uh, the people enjoy, you know, what they ended up getting at the end. And uh, it, it, it is a heartache on them. It is, it is hard. This is not what you were expecting to do, especially in the case of one of these fires. So yeah, uh, I like at the end, they say, hey, we still like you guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And, uh, you know, and we like what we were able to accomplish because it is really tough on them. And I don't think any of us understand what it would be like to lose everything. Yeah, literally work everything. Trauma, work yeah. through that trauma. Now I got to, you know, this is a, you know, we're going to ask you a ton of questions and yeah, they're not, they weren't ready for these questions, you know? Yeah, this exactly. Is not, not something that they were expecting. So, so yeah, I, I always um, am reminded of the fact that, um, you know, the people who are rebuilding after a disaster were maybe not the kind of people that had ever thought in their million years that they would build a house from the ground up. There are people with whom that's always been a dream. And then there are these people who are put in a position where, all of a sudden they're building a house and who knew? And, and they have to make decisions like three weeks ago that they don't know how to make. Um, what's the difference in the process for you with someone who comes to you who's been thinking about this for 10 years and now it's their time to do it? Well, I'd say um, they're ready to answer the questions we have to ask, right? Yeah. Um, if you've never built a house or never thought of it, um, you know, the first question becomes challenging. Uh, that's why we always recommend, you know, working with a designer like yourself just really makes the process so much easier between the client and the contractor. It's kind of a go-between. Um, you know, designer sits down and goes over all the details, kind of breaks it out into, you know, terms the homeowner can understand and provides, you know, samples, selections, choices. I think that's a huge part of it. But um, I, I, I think anyone, even if they were planning on building a new house, um, designer is always the way to go. Yeah, it's still, it's still a, a challenging process, even if you always wanted to do it. Um, Absolutely. So speaking of challenges, were there any specific challenges because of the circumstances of the Woolsey fire or uh, these two lots or you know anything else about the time that made these any more difficult than usual or... Um, I, I would say right off the top, you know, just building a house that the houses went as we thought they would, you know, planned. We did give them a schedule. We said, here's what we're going to be doing. Yeah. And so to stay on that schedule, the heart, the hardest part, I would say, at least this year and more so than any different is two things happen. One, uh, workers could get sick and get covid uh, we were allowed to keep working where other people weren't. Um, so that was good. You know, framers, drywall guys, roofers. Uh, but we would lose people once in a while and say, hey, you know what? We've lost two members of our crew and right. they have to um, warn, you know, quarantine for two weeks. And then the other thing that would happen was some of the factories, let's say window factories, door factories, roofing factories. Appliances. They, appliances. Yeah, appliances. <laughs> They uh, also lost workers. And so they, yeah. what we used to think, and when we would schedule this out, that, you know, we could get this stuff in two weeks, three weeks max, turned into, you can get this stuff in two months or three months, we hope. Yeah. 
Well, that was that was the biggest. Obviously, this year was that was the biggest hurdle for us, really. Yeah, it's we're, amazing. Just, actually, that. Yeah, that the supply line issues didn't push it out any further because you still made you know really miraculous time on the modern house, uh, and you know and the and the craftsman house is coming along. You know, it, it got a little bit of a later start. Was that because they started later? The the craftsman house got a later start just due to weather. Um, oh, right. We got a lot of rain, and so every time we would dig footings and put rebar, they'd fill up with three feet of water. So yeah. we spun wheels there for a couple months until we were able to get the foundation poured, and then we were off and running. But yeah, yeah, you know, some mercy of uh, Mother Nature. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, but and you know what I didn't mention uh, that the audience might find interesting is that these houses were one block apart, um, still are. And uh, and so it was really amazing to be running back and forth, you know, between the two locations um, was especially yeah. uh, amazing. Um, so before we go today, um, I wondered if you have any specific like one tip or trick or um, um, like what is literally the first step if you find that all of a sudden you're out of your home and you and you need to you're going to need to rebuild. Well, I'd say the first step was be be realistic with your budget, um, you know, and work with the architect, hire an architect, work with an architect and let him know your budget. Because if you give an architect or an engineer free reign, you know, they might design a 3000 square foot house that's going to cost four million dollars. So if they know what your realistic budget is, you know, they can tame the expectations of the house and be real with you up front before you spend all this money on something that can't be built. And then the second thing would be, you know, hire a designer, you know, and work with an architect designer and then find a contractor um, that fits your budget and you like their personality because mm -hmm. it's a long process. It's 12 to 15 months where you're dealing weekly, monthly with everybody and it should be enjoyable. You shouldn't um, have to stress about calling the designer or the architect or the contractor about a question right. or something that they're concerned about. It should be fun and it should be something that, you know, everybody's on the same page with and comfortable with because it is, it's a relationship for quite a bit of time. So I'd say take your time and pick the personality that fits best with you. Right. Yeah. Um, my first thing would probably be make sure you have good communications with your insurance company. If you have insurance company. Yeah. Um, we do have some that um, didn't have insurance. <gasps> Oh my god. So yeah, especially in Malibu area, there was a lot of people that were underinsured or, or actually no insurance whatsoever. Wow. But if you have insurance, make sure you understand the policy. Uh -huh. uh, one of the things that did happen, uh, and it's happened, oh, I've had a lot of uh, insurance brokers calling me and asking me, hey, are here's what I have these houses insured for is are they going to be actually able to rebuild their, their house with mm -hmm. this insurance? And so I would, I would probably stress to everybody at this point um, that they check their insurance come and check their, check their insurance policy and understand exactly what it says. Yeah. And then, and then find out either from their agent or a contractor, hey, if something were really to happen to me, am I uh, uh, insured properly? Yeah. And not underinsured because just the amount of people that were underinsured when this fire came through here a couple of years ago was phenomenal. 
Yeah, no, those are both, you know, brilliant uh, things for people to realize they have to consider. And um, I know, uh, you know, we'll talk in future in future weeks uh, together and I'll tell you more about my disaster story because we were out of our house for 14 months and, uh, and, and, but I knew I was insured from the moment I bought the house because I knew what could happen. Um, but um, so over the next year, I'm hoping that we can check in with you guys uh, for additional insights as we lay out for our listeners in real time the process of building a home from the ground up. And Don, what you were just talking about with the insurance um, situation is, is a great segue into our next show. So hopefully uh, next week we can you know, start to talk about you know, what the nuts and bolts of that process are. Um, is there anything else before we sign off for this episode? No, thank you for your time. Yeah, Enjoyed well, thank you so talking much. with you. All right, great. So um, we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. Each week, we bring you time-tested practices and the latest trends through conversations with top professionals in the building industry. You can find other episodes of From Disaster to Dream Home at EWNPodcastNetwork.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and most other major podcast streaming services. Need design help? You can contact us or find out more about our guests at FromDisasterToDreamHome.com. Until next time, let us guide and inspire you as you create the home of your dreams. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.